It's December 12th, 2016, and this is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm your host, Pius Wong. In today's two-part episode, I talk with two nonprofits on a mission. First, we visit Girl Start, a Texas-based nonprofit that reaches thousands of girls from fourth grade up to junior high with hands-on programs. Second, we talk to the founders of Scientific Adventures for Girls, a newer nonprofit around Oakland, California, that targets younger girls in early elementary. Both organizations are growing, and together they paint a picture of what's difficult and what works when trying to get young girls into engineering. When I visited the Austin headquarters of the nonprofit Girl Start earlier this fall, Executive Director Tamara Hudgens first greeted me with the Grand Tour. Staff members were busy talking and moving nearby, while Tamara told me about the wall of photos near the hall entrance. The photos showed off Girl Start's large and dedicated team of women across Texas and a few places outside Texas. She listed all the different colleges they're from. Either University of Houston or Rice or Lone Star, sorry, I have to think out loud, Lone Star Community College. When I started here in fall of 2009, we had this many. Are these volunteers? We called them interns. No, they no. get paid. Okay. They get paid cool. and they get puppy time. One of the local staff members' dogs, Leo, was walking around the offices that day. Girl Start stretched across this whole long one-story building with multiple activity rooms, but it wasn't always this way. This used to be a nursing home. Girl Start itself started much smaller in 1997, logistically and physically, and six years ago they only had part of the building. We had this room and this room for camp and access to the kitchen, yeah. and then the rest of it was a real challenge. There was mold and occasional flooding and the lobby wasn't symmetrical. So after Tamara joined in 2009, bringing her previous nonprofit experience in the arts, Girl Start bought the rest of the building in 2010, renovated everything, and doubled their space. And today, the staff used that space to prep for the week's hands-on after-school projects. Girls would be coming in later to do things like design and test artificial ears out of disposable cups, suture wounded stuffed animals, build a protective package for a potato chip dropped from on high, and program underwater robots to swim. Girl Start had all the equipment, computers, and wonderful stuff to show for it. Everything can be science here, and that's... Awesome. One thing that we want to encourage girls to think about is that science is everywhere. So, yeah. sure, it's Play-Doh, but it's also an opportunity to create a soft circuit. Tamara observed how high-tech is so often paired with low-tech in science and engineering, like how their programmable mill still needs a shop vacuum to clean up all the dust, or how their additive 3D printer needs basic painter's tape to make sure the objects are built properly. The kids pick up on that. Then, around the corner from the prototyping room, Tamara name-dropped more tech the girls use. Yeah, we have Legos, we have the WeDo's, we have the uh, Mindstorms, we have the newer EV3s. Mm -hmm. um, but we've also got other robots that are, we've got some new cute robots. I actually don't know where they are, and it's probably good that I don't because I'd take them all home. <laughs> they're called Ozobots. And she explained how they're brand agnostic when it comes to tech, so they can give girls more learning options. When girls come to summer camp, one thing that they absolutely do is uh, 
something related to computer programming. And chances are it's um, building a fully playable video game, but we also do um, a lot of programming using um, App Inventor or Blockly or other types of programming environments. There's this thing called Decano, which is a Raspberry Pi-based computer. Hmm. Near the end of the hall, we came to a smaller meeting room with a window. Through the glass, you could see their second small building that they built in their backyard in 2013. It housed their mini planetarium and a studio space where girls could do messier projects. Tamara and I settled into the room to talk. GirlStart is science, technology, engineering, and math programs for girls. We are a, an organization that cares about providing year-round STEM experiences for girls. We want to be there for every girl, and the programs that we do are informal, but at the same time, they're rigorous STEM programs as well. And by informal, you just mean outside the classroom? By informal, we mean that there's an approach that's a little bit different than what's taken, than what takes place within the classroom. Within the classroom, for example, if you were a kind of traditional, say, chemistry teacher or what have you, you might have an experiment that you want your students to do, and you'll be standing up in the front of the classroom, mm-hmm. and you'll say, okay, everybody, follow this recipe, and if you get it right, it will look like what's behind my card, which I'm not yet going to show you. Um, informal science is more about asking a question and seeing if you can find solutions or answers to that question. Um, what we want girls to do is to master the scientific method and or the engineering design process. And so what we do is we ask questions like, hey, if I gave you this potato chip and I gave you two plastic cups, some duct tape, some cotton balls and some other stuff, could you make a capsule to keep that potato chip from breaking if you dropped it from three feet off the ground, four feet off the ground, five feet off the ground. Um, We believe that the the basis of informal science is fun and it's exciting and it doesn't just ask, but it really requires all the participants to be doing hands-on activities. And at the end of it, everybody's solution is completely different. So you're not going to get 15 of the same responses. And that's one thing that's really exciting about informal science. What are some of those programs then? I know that all of them have this hands-on aspect in common, but mm-hmm. what are some of the things you do? So in in the course of a year, our two main programs are Girl Start After School, which is in the fall and in the spring, and then in the summer we have Girl Start Summer Camp. And Girl Start After School is the largest after-school program like this in the nation, meaning it's reaching a lot more girls than even the closest near-peer um, it's also, unlike many other after-school programs, not just a jumble of stuff that you do after school just to keep yourself busy. It's a sequential set of curriculum pieces that then line up to the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills and or Next Generation Science Standards. Because even though one of our goals is to keep girls excited about science and math, we also want them to do better, frankly, on their, their science and math tests and mm. their grades. And, okay. and some of my colleagues would get a little bit itchy hearing that we want them to do that. But we do because th- the fact is, is that 75% of the participants in Girls Start After School are high-need girls. So if after participating in Girls Start, because of their high performance on test scores, they're then recommended for pre-AP coursework, they're on the path to being STEM ready. That sounds awesome. So why would someone get itchy about that? Like, Well, informal education doesn't always like to be measured because okay. it's supposed to be fun and it's not supposed to be, you know, intimidating. It's just not supposed to have that 
aspect to it. It it just so happens that Girl Star programs are both fun and they produce results. That's the goal. Which is yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. and and that's why the work that is done here is so special. We find that there are plenty of people who are doing fun science activities and we find that there are some that are producing results, but there are very few that meet that in the mm-hmm. middle so consistently over time. Mm-hmm. And again, especially because most of the girls that we reach are in Title I schools and they're high need, you know, uh, 35% of them don't speak English at home. And of those, you know, limited English proficient students, they're speaking 20 different languages. This is a highly diverse and underserved group in STEM. Not to mention, of course, the fact that 100% of of girls are underserved in STEM already. Tamara then gave me some metrics of their girls' success, and there are a lot. Girl Start had an evaluator look at the 2015-16 cohort of Girl Start's after-school program across multiple school districts. 82% of participants could identify the steps in the engineering design process afterward, for example, and 92% reported enjoying building things to solve problems. In Texas state standardized tests for math and science, Girl Start's girls also scored better than non-participating girls with similar racial and socioeconomic backgrounds. They were 10 to 20% more likely to take advanced math and science classes in 6th and 7th grades. The After School Alliance also vouches for these results. The Alliance is a national nonprofit that studies and advocates for programs like this if they're effective. In a December report, they compared Girl Start to several other successful programs, and they all shared that hands-on, immersive approach to learning. In addition to the After School program, Tamara also described the summer camp and everything else they do. So then I'm supposed to talk about summer camp. So summer camp yeah. is here at Girl Start in Austin or in locations to go. And they are week-long experiences wrapped around a particular theme, whether it be uh, or, you know, under the sea or circus circus. It's, it's roughly designed to kind of engage a girl's interest and then pull her in. Mm-hmm. And so we wrap STEM activities throughout each of these camps. We design and develop our own curriculum. Every year all the curriculum is different because the girls come to us year over year over year, wow. and they don't want to do the same thing. Um, and so those are our two core programs. We have, in addition to that, um, a Girls in STEM conference every spring, and that brings women who work in STEM together with girls, and they have hands-on activities, which is great. Uh, but it is just one day. And then we also do a fair stripe of what we call community STEM programming, either through Starry Nights here at our mini planetarium in Austin or by taking STEM activities to a school or to a community location or to a museum or to a public library. Mm-hmm. We're able to do 80 or 90 of these events every year, mm-hmm. reaching thousands and thousands of people, which is great, yeah. because then they get to learn about Girl Start. Oh, by the way, maybe we're at a school near you, which is great. And these are one-off events? Those they're one-off events, events okay. and they're also free. The vast majority of the programming that we do is free. In fact, uh, more than 97% of the, the people that participate in our programs do so at no cost. So what do they have to pay for? Like When girls come to summer camp here in okay. Austin, there is a fee. It's not the, the total cost of what it costs us to do it, sure. but there is a fee, and it's really competitive with other summer camps around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All of our summer camps to go, however, whether it be in Hayes County or in Elgin, by that I mean Chicagoland, um, or in Sunnyvale, California, or Bellevue, uh, those are done at no cost to, to participants. So we raise mm-hmm. the money for that. I asked how Girl Start grew to do all this since 1997. Um, you know, 
there have been a dedicated group of people around Girls Start to kind of get it going. And we're one of the youngest organizations I know that is lucky to have its own building. So they did a, an amazing amount of work trying to help us get our our building here in, in Austin, in the near north side, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the early 2000s, we got a couple of large National Science Foundation grants to help us really prove uh, kind of the, the test of concept of what Girl Start was like, what, what are the basic tenets of our programs, what are the things that we believe, you know, like we want to be there for every girl, we want to meet girls where they are, we want to do informal science that's hands-on and engaging, and we want to lead them through every activity to connect with a career. So, you know, that was done in response to the fact that it was kind of generally known that there aren't enough women who work in STEM. Okay, so how can we do something to improve that? And by working on the pipeline, Girl Start believes that it can inform that number of, of, of STEM workers, and particularly a diverse group of STEM workers. So we've been working really hard um, on that. And since 2009, I got here in the fall of 2009, and we had four after-school programs at that point and eight summer camp programs at that point. And we had the opportunity to say, okay, let's take a minute and go, what do we want to do a whole lot more of? What are we mm-hmm. going to let go of? What, What's kind of working? What are we going to really, where, where do we think we can go? Mm-hmm. And even as early as those days, our colleagues were like, we want to see summer camp grow. We want to make it huge. We want to make it national. And they said, and, and we believe that our, our after school program has a lot of really strong fundamentals as well. They then grew to 62 after-school programs and 28 summer camp programs today in the big metro areas of Texas. And in the next year, they want to start replicating the model in another state. I guess the thing is, is we're not just, and I mean this, I do mean this in the way that I say it, we're not drunk on growth. Many organizations are simply drunk on growth for the sake of growth because we're growing and we're this and we're numbers and we're all that. What we want to do is we want to value the fact that so many people have asked us to be there. 70 districts plus in the state of Texas are on our wait list, plus 28 Hmm. states. That's a big responsibility. And for us, we take that responsibility pretty seriously. We don't like saying no to people when they say, can you bring Girls Start to us? And, And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to balance the demand with our ability to serve. Tamara said how each office in another city replicates the Austin model, but is not a franchise. Girls Start tightly monitors outcomes from every site monthly as they've grown. She likened it to measuring KPIs or key performance indicators in the corporate world. They're the same outcomes in the research reports mentioned earlier and more. Um, And then we ask questions related to, hey, you want to go to college? half roughly of our after-school girls would be first-generation college aspirants. So that's a meaningful question. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we put our STEM crew, who are our dear college students who lead our programs, in front of those girls in a non-traditional way, in a Girl Start t-shirt, those girls look up to those STEM crew members and they say, oh my gosh, she's like a big sister, I could be her. And that's exactly what you want because then they say, well, I can go to, if she can go to college, I can go to college, right? Collecting and using good data might not be easy. How can nonprofits do this? It, it is hard, especially if you're in the nonprofit world and you're not you're not making any money. You're doing this because your heart's on the table. Um, it is hard to have your performance be perceived as being tied to what these survey scores are going to be. And you know, because we hire a lot of 
teachers, people who are certified teachers, they get itchy when it comes to that. They get really nervous, mm, okay. and they feel like their feet are being held to the fire. Yeah, because they already are seeing that. The, and and they see yeah. that in the mindset, and it's like, no, okay. come on, calm down, everybody. I want you to see that data is good. And hmm. we have a growth mindset here at Girl Start, and we believe that data shows us more information. But we do know that it is a journey to get there. So you guys started small as well in 97. And I'm sure that um, you faced a lot of those struggles. Did you already start measuring all those outcomes even back then before the NSF grant? No, no. Okay. And that's where a lot of of nonprofits are. Correct. Okay. And and NSF for us was almost too much evaluation. I mean, it was, well, it was very intensive and it was very expensive. At that same time, it taught us, hey, you need to get some processes as part of your day-to-day existence. And once you incorporate those as part of your daily routine or quarterly routine or whatever, it's not a big deal. Um, So it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, we use free tools now. Free tools exist. I think one of the challenges is, you know, we have invested in working with evaluators that help us ask good questions. And that is also kind of part of our intellectual property. Um, okay. So we have, we've got really good questions that we ask girls. And huh. that tells us a lot. And I think that the, the more you spend time on asking the right questions, the better your results are going to be. How do you find your participants? You said a lot of them are high need participants. Mm-hmm. How do you target them or, or well, get them interested? We work with individual schools. Um, and or districts and the schools in exchange for a free weekly after school program that comes completely turnkey we engage a local community member whether it be a counselor or a librarian or a science teacher or what have you and they serve as a coordinator for us and we pay them an honorarium each semester for their time and it's their job to recruit girls because they know the girls at their school best. They know mm-hmm. which girls would be in the mi- in the middle. You know, we're not a remedial program, and we are not a program for geeks. Don't say geeks around us. We're for every girl. And so what we want to do is we want to reach those girls in the middle that might benefit from an additional hour-plus every week in science. Since Girl Start relies on these community liaisons to recruit girls, I wanted to speak to a liaison to find out what specifically works. Tamara pointed me to Gail in Austin. So my name is Gail Penn, and um, I'm right now I'm the math coach here at Padron Elementary. Gail works with teachers, parents, and students at Padron to get girls into Girl Starts programs. She actually first tried recruiting girls for the after-school program more than three years ago at McBee Elementary on the other side of the neighborhood, and she remembers the challenges. The hardest part is when you first start up the program convincing the girls who don't know anything about the program and what's going to happen that it's um, a safe thing to do and uh, a fun thing to do after you build a reputation like I have kids that every year that they they ask me about it now when you're going to pass out girl start applications that kind of thing Um, because they all know somebody who did it um, when they're in third grade and they know they can't do it in third grade and they want to do it in fourth grade, if, if you can pull some girls in and give them a really great experience, then it just kind of builds on itself. On top of getting kids interested, Gail also had to work to get teachers on board, too. She said how she had to show teachers that the after-school program was effective and not a huge time sink, either. Girl Start sends out uh, their curriculum every week. 
Um, and so I can actually show the teachers, this is what the girls are, are talking about this week and how that supplements what they're doing in the classroom. The only thing that they really have to worry about is getting applications back to me. And after that, it just runs, you know. And it never hurts to give people chocolate, too. I mean. <laughs> Fortunately, Girl Start aims to make it easier for teachers to get involved. Gail liked how the college students who are Girl Start's teachers also basically serve as logistical managers, handling all the materials needed for lessons, organizing the spreadsheet of student attendance, contacting parents. You don't, you don't think about all the things that are involved with keeping people after school <laughs> to do something. Gail loves all the outcomes data that Girl Start provides. But just as importantly for her, she believes that they create a safe space for girls to explore these fields. I, I do understand that a lot of times, especially men, don't realize that there is any kind of difference between how men and women are treated in uh, the math and science areas. But there is. To build with, with our girls... Uh, a culture of um, it being all right to be smart, to be mathematically inclined, then I felt like my time was well spent, uh, regardless of what it did to their scores. I feel like if, if we can bring these ideas and programs and experiences to our girls who are um, have less advantages socioeconomically than when they're young and forming ideas about how they want their lives to look in five years, ten years, then um, we can make a difference in what they do with their lives. As you heard, to reach these goals, Girl Start also relies on their team of college student teachers to lead the programs. Tamara explained more of that side of the formula. Well, at the same time, when you mentioned challenges, I mean, I would say that we spent a lot of time coaching college students really? on yeah, that was one of the just questions. things like time management like and being okay. responsible. Show up when you say <laughs> you're going to show up because there are 25 girls waiting in this school for you. If you yeah. don't show up, you're going to let them down. So how do you find those... Uh, college students. We work with we work with institutions of higher education. We work a lot with UT and UTeach and with the UTeach replication sites across Texas. Okay. UT is the University of Texas, and UTeach is a teacher preparation program there and at other universities. Tamara explained how the educational philosophy of Girl Start matches that of UTeach basically motivating a lot of the hands-on and inquiry-based projects that the girls do there. My program team is very, um, very selective about the college students that they will hire. And when they do hire that particular college student, they work with that college student very specifically to make sure that she's a good fit. What do you think the next big challenge is in, in what you all do? Like, National. We, just we're going, we're going national. Okay. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. When and how. And, yeah. Okay. And we know the how because we put together the replication framework, uh, which has really guided our growth and will continue to guide our growth and also the tools to monitor how we're doing with this growth. 
I think that the the big scary question is okay, what's it going to look like when when Girl Start is is national to some degree? Um, you know, summer camp is one thing, but I mean full year round STEM education for girls. You know, is it is it the Silicon Valley area, Sunnyvale? Is it Boston? Is it mm-hmm. other places? We're considering a list of of potentials, and really, it's not about whether or not there are you know high need girls because those are everywhere. Uh, the question is, is there sustainable funding, mm-hmm. and are there STEM crew? Yeah. And if we can answer those two questions, we're good to go. Our chief purpose is to be there for every girl, and that's why our kind of collective guilt has fostered the virtual programs that we do, because mm-hmm. we do feel we feel terrible that we can't be everywhere all at one time. Um, but with December, with our hands-on Wednesdays, and with the, the suite of curriculum that we've made available for educators online and for parents, um, we believe we've at least provided some tools so that if we can't be in your community year-round, you can at least have something. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to December share? December 2016 is, is coming up, and I'm certain that we'll be ready for it. Um, so it's a project every day? Ev- every day through the month of December, which okay. I can't say it the other way anymore. There's a free hands-on activity that you can download mm-hmm. using kitchen or household science materials. And the idea is that, especially winding up the, the school year, having two weeks off at the end of the calendar year, leading into science fair season, wouldn't it be great if kids and caregivers could just spend some downtime chillaxing, doing some hands-on science? All these initiatives are different ways to try to reach girls at a younger age. To Tamara, it's critical. So, you know, as Gwen Shotwell, who's the COO of SpaceX, will say, you know, when, when she was, before she got introduced to her first female mechanical engineer, she said, you know, engineers drive trains, right? Mm. And it's true that you need to show girls what their lives will be like when their life is you know a stem life you know do you do you have to chop off your arm do you have to wear funny clothes to work how many dogs do you have how many cats what does what's your house look like girls are making these plans at the age of 10 earlier if you do not get into their mind at that point it's done it's too late for more information on girl starts the report from the after school alliance or other resources mentioned here, you can find links in the show notes or at k12engineering.net. Hi there, it's Pies again, and on behalf of Rachel and myself, I just want to say thank you to everyone who voted for us to participate in South by Southwest in March 2017. If you're in Austin at that time, totally check out our awesome sessions, and I've already talked about it previously, so the other thing I wanted to say was this podcast is officially press for South by Southwest EDU. I'm super excited about it, so if you have any story ideas that you would like us to cover, Please let me know. See you there.
Scientific Adventures for Girls is a nonprofit in Oakland, California, that aims to engage girls in the early elementary years in STEM fields. The founders of Scientific Adventures spoke with me over Skype about what they've learned in this line of work as a newer organization. Thank you to Courtney and Tiffany for speaking with me today. And uh, can you first just introduce yourselves and your organization? Maybe start with Courtney. Sure. Okay. Hi, this is Courtney Carhoyer, and I am with Scientific Adventures for Girls. We're a nonprofit in Oakland, California, and we offer after-school and out-of-school STEM classes to young girls in kindergarten through fifth grade. Yeah, and I'm Tiffany Sprague. I'm co-founder of Scientific Adventures for Girls. So you both sound like you have a lot of experience with running organizations and nonprofits. So why did you start this one? Why did you start Scientific Adventures for Girls? Uh, well, about three years ago, um, Tiffany and I are both mothers of young daughters. And what we noticed when we would go to sign our daughters up for after-school STEM-related classes is that they would be one of the only girls in the class or that the classes that were being offered around STEM were designed and themed around boys. And we noticed that it was hard to find something that, you know, really appealed to girls. So what we did a little bit more research and we were surprised to find how little science is actually offered in the elementary schools in California. At the time, we were finding that it was between 30 minutes um, to 60 minutes a week. Um, on top of that, we noticed that in the after-school area, there were not a lot of programs that were accessible to girls in low-income areas. And specifically, we were looking in the Oakland East Bay area. As we all know, one of the other major issues is there's a women are there's a lack of women that are going into STEM fields, um, choosing majors, and then going on to work in the field. So all of that together, and then finding out that it's actually really key to start introducing STEM in early elementary. And the more we read about it, the more we understood that 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 time period is key to build confidence in STEM and engage, especially girls. Um, in even starting at the age of five. So all of that together, we decided to create a pilot class, and that was about two and a half years ago. And from there, it was a great success, and we have been scaling up and adding new programs almost every semester. Wow. And how did uh, you start that pilot class? I feel like there's a story behind that. Yeah, so like, this is Tiffany. So like Courtney said, we're both mothers of daughters. I have two sons as well. Hmm. And we started at my son and daughter's school. Uh, we searched through our personal network to find a teacher and put it together um, through that. It was 15 girls that we got in grades second through fifth grade. Um, we registered them and actually we found space around the corner from the school. It was a it was actually very serendipitous, I think. It's a maker space called um, Curiosity Hacked. It's about two blocks away from where the school was. So we were able to rent that space. Everything just came together. We found a great teacher, lots of girls that were interested in, in, um, in space that had tools. It was already outfitted to have a, a good STEM class. Wow, you sound pretty fortunate. Well, I think in our community, um, and we're in the Bay Area, right? So I think we have that exposure. And I think there is like this awareness that there's not enough being done to send girls um, and minorities towards the STEM jobs. 
And so at this school in particular, there were no, there are no after school science programs. So I think parents were already feeling that. One of the things that we've dealt with, um, if you, there are a lot of, uh, not a lot, there are programs that are very, are focused on the middle school and high school kids in the area, but there's really close to nothing that focus, especially re- making them accessible to all girls. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pretty much nothing available in uh, for kindergarten through fifth grade. So that was one big reason that Tiffany and I wanted to create this program is to reach those kids. All of our programs are 100% accessible. We offer partial to full scholarships. So it doesn't, we're trying to reach all girls. That's our mission. There's numerous programs that are for profit, just private after school programs, but a lot of kids can't afford that. So that's why, you know, we're trying to get into those schools and make this part of, you know, something that everybody can take. Hmm. Are you basically the only nonprofit serving that demographic then? So there's TechBridge, which is an organization that's been around for about 16 years. Linda Kakalis founded the organization, and she started reaching out to girls in middle school and high school, offering after-school classes in STEM. And when Tiffany and I first started, she was very helpful in um, kind of work talking to us about how she got her organization started, and which helped us, you know, figure out things that we needed to do to make our program successful. But in terms of the ages, we are the only one that we've run across that solely focuses on kindergarten through fifth. And there's other programs, like Girls, Inc., um, also a great after-school program. They do general after-school. We've actually taught their STEM program at two of their locations. But again, we're we, that's solely what we do, and that we're one of the only organizations that we've run across that does it. Mm-hmm. For girls. For girls, yeah. Yeah, well... Uh, can I talk about your content a little bit? What differentiates a curriculum for girls versus boys? We basically have done research on what interests girls at an early age. Because I think Courtney might have mentioned when we were looking for our own daughters to join science enrichment classes, a lot of the topics were kind of not appealing just by listening to the titles and the names like <laughs> Build and Destroy, mm-hmm. um, like stuff around cars and Star Wars. <laughs> You know, things that are kind of generally, this is broadly speaking, of course, um, not appealing, you know, and so I think that's also, there's an awareness around that. So we wanted to make our content appealing, you know, in a marketing flyer, like if a parent of a daughter read the flyer together, what would get them excited? The advantage of being small is that we can kind of do a little bit of background and maybe customize to what our um the girls that are enrolled in our programs like, but largely we saw that they were interested in animals or interested in being messy, drawing, like incorporating the art, you know, the steam component. So we made our titles especially appealing to girls. So like we had, we had a, uh, what's it called? A program called on biomimicry. Mm-hmm. So we knew that girls in these classes were interested in animals. Um, so, you know, learn about animals and learn how um, we can learn engineering from animals. So that whole curriculum was designed around, you know, the, what's it called? The detention getter was the animals, but then we kind of like snuck in engineering, if you will. You know, how, why are beavers like engineers? <laughs> you know, I um, mean, learning how to build like beavers, you know, or like how does flight happen? Um, and we look at birds and so they built bird wings. And tested them. And tested them, you know, so, um, 
and a lot of our girls love to get their hands on things. Um, so all of our projects are hands on, you know, squishy circuits. So they make their own Play-Doh, make their own conductive and insul insulative dough. They get to color it whatever color they want it to be. They pick the colors of their LEDs. And we also know that girls like to help people. And so we try to make our projects very um, with a social context, like how can engineering help the world? So we just finished the East Bay Mini Maker Fair in Oakland. Um, and our booth was design a tool for good. And so it was a, a, a model human chest cavity with tumors in it, which were candy bars. And so we're like, you know, you can be either a biomedical engineer or a doctor and design a tool to help extract the candy bars or the tumors without breaking a blood vessel. So we had cups of red water um, and if they spilled it and that would mean that they broke the blood vessel. That's really so. neat. I haven't heard of an activity like that before. Yeah. So, you know, give it a social context. Like why is engineering um, helpful and important? Yeah. So it also sounds like you have a great team to help you create this content, including teachers. How did you get them? And what other successes have you had in uh, scientific adventures? Um, well, in terms of our teachers, we've been pretty lucky. So we we started out when we a couple of years ago finding women who it, well two two ways women who their career was STEM, in STEM and they were now parents themselves and they were now, you know now wanted to kind of pass on their passion for STEM through teaching and then we've reached out to people who are teachers you know in the in, during the school day and bring you know that background into teaching STEM, and we've been really happy with our teachers, and because they are they are the program, mm -hmm. and that's that's what's going to make these girls walk away with a really positive attitude about STEM, and we hope you know to continue that and be confident about STEM as they move forward. And it's it's because of these teachers, and we hear so many stories about women who are older and they talk about why they got into STEM and it's because of a teacher most of the time mm -hmm. or a mentor and a lot of these girls have no mentors that are in the STEM field so this is an opportunity for them to be exposed to this. We also, um, one thing that we do all, similar to TechBridge is we bring in role models to every session and introduce the girls to, that's another way that we incorporate engineering. Mm -hmm. We bring a lot of engineering role models and female role models to talk about their jobs, what they do, why they chose the field, and then do a project with the girls, which is highly successful. And it gives the girls the opportunity to kind of see themselves in a role like that. As we know, a lot of research shows that a lot of women don't go into these fields because they don't, they don't see themselves as a STEM professional. So we're trying to change that. Even a big part of it is our teachers. They become the STEM role model for these girls. Mm -hmm. And we hear that all the time. And we do uh, pre and post surveys. And we see that a lot in our surveys at the end. You know, who is your, do you have any STEM role models? And they'll list out the assistants or the head teachers that we have in the classes. Right. You described several successes already in your program. And the content sounds really relevant for what engineering students in middle school and high school and college eventually do. Um, what about some of the challenges that you have faced as an organization? Um, do you have any challenges that you can discuss? I mean, I think all nonprofits can, well, maybe not all, but a lot of nonprofits face um, fundraising challenges. Um, we're finding that there is 
quite a bit of demand for our program, and it's just kind of trying to um, allocate resource, find more resources to expand. I think that's been probably our biggest challenge. You know, we just started just all nearly three years. Mm-hmm. Probably February will be three years, and I feel like on such a lean budget and through our really just starting with our own personal networking and um, network and fundraising and and such to be able to reach 600 kids, I think is a great success, but a, um, a challenge is trying to expand even more. And that's, that is part of our long-term strategy is to make it accessible in the East Bay. Hmm. That's a big challenge. And one of the things we touched on a little bit earlier that's come up a lot lately, there's more and more research. I mean, even if you uh, look at President Obama and quotes and things that he's done at the White House, has talked about just in the last year how important it is to start STEM education earlier in early elementary, uh, like we're doing in kindergarten. It's in the past, it's really been a focus in middle school and high school, but we are hearing constantly, we were just at a conference last week in San Francisco, the whole panel agreed that if you wait till sixth grade to try to engage kids in STEM, it's too late. Hmm. That girls will start losing confidence in their abilities in STEM as early as third and fourth grade. You know, one thing is we're, we're educating people, too, now to say, hey, it's important to do to start STEM in kindergarten. Everybody thinks, oh, well, that's something they'll do in middle school. You know, um, even computer science, coding, and uh, people have said, oh, you know, it's you don't need to start that early with that. Yes, you can, and yes, you do, because they're, they're, this is something that they're very excited about. And if you get them excited about it early on, they're more likely to hang on to that mm-hmm. through the difficult times of, you know, middle school and high school and college of, you know, going into these careers. It's just normalizing it early on. Right. That science and math is not something that you just are. It's something that's learned and it's something that's important. And I think beyond, I mean, just, just developmentally, that's how kids, like, if you start off early on. So that is a big challenge, I think, for us convincing donors that to invest in early STEM education is really the way to go. Yeah. What strategies do you use? I know that in the beginning you said that you you reached out to your personal network, but if you're talking mm-hmm. to people who don't know you, how can you convince them that it's worthwhile to, to educate these girls in this way? It's still networking. So there's a lot of uh, firms in the Bay Area. We've started by reaching out to local firms that are either headquartered or, or right around the areas where, where most of our classes are being held. And that's been somewhat successful. So we're starting small and asking for small grants to support mm. local programs. And it again, though, it's it's trying to get an in into the company, either going and talking to them, having some kind of conversation about who we are and what we do, um, inviting role models from the firm to come into our classes so they can see firsthand what we do mm-hmm. has been helpful. Trying to let, make them clearly understand, you know, how this is going to benefit their community. And it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to to do that because I think it's pretty straightforward, especially being in Silicon Valley. And this is the area where it's, you know, we're going to need so many more um, young people going into these fields in the next 5, 10, 20 years that this is only going to benefit them. Right, right. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it because in some uh, in some conversations, I've heard that it might be challenging to convince people to donate just because the payoff might be in 15 years and not <laughs> like in the next uh, investment cycle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Does that matter to the companies in Silicon Valley? 
Well, I mean, there are companies out there who's made their mission, short-term mission, to get more women interested and to hire more women. You know, and I think companies like Intel and um, Google. Google may, you know, are have publicly made that or saying we're making an effort to hire hire more women. But they do seem to be focusing on um, high the school. We've noticed when we've talked to those companies, they're still trying to get th that's their focus is middle school and high school. I think what's worked, I think, is a good strategy is finding women in these companies who total who completely understand that you should start early. Um, and so they in turn become our champions and get us in and get us to meeting to the right people. And once they come into our class too and observe and see like what good we're doing, um, that's also very convincing. You know, we can spout off research and, and statistics, but when our role, I, you know, inviting the role models for classes has been mm -hmm. I think, pretty successful. Do you have any other, any other news that you'd like to share? I know you already spoke about a lot of the things that you're going to be doing. So one of the things that we're really trying to do besides engaging the girls in um, STEM is also engaging their families, um, their caregivers in the process. And there's a couple of ways that we do that. In all of our after-school classes, right after the class, the teacher will send an email to the parents when possible, letting them know what they did in class, sending them pictures, talking about the project and discussion questions that they can talk about at home. Now at our drop-in library programs that we're doing at, in Oakland at 81st and Eastmont, it's a drop-in program, so the kids come in, but we also invite the parents to come and sit down and actually do the project with their children. Hmm. This is an area that we really think is important, and it's going to actually benefit everybody in the long term if we have the families engaged as well. Um, the other thing that just um, as, as our organization is growing, so one area that we really try to focus on is finding people to collaborate with. You know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. I mean, I think it's a natural thing to start working with other organizations so that as we build this pipeline out starting at the age of five, that they're going to have other programs to go to that's right. going to take them all the way through high school and even college. And, you know, we've, you know, we've served um, almost 600 kids in the last two and a half years. And doing in doing that, you know, it's, it's also by being efficient and what we're doing and collaborating with others so that we can get the most out of our program for the girls. Well, uh, Courtney and Tiffany, thank you so much for speaking with me. It was really great to hear about what you do. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Pius. You can find links to the Scientific Adventures for Girls website in the show notes. And the website has contact information for Courtney and Tiffany. A big thank you to everyone in today's stories, including Tamara Hudgens of Girl Start and Gail Penn of Padrone Elementary in Austin, Texas, and Courtney Carr-Hoyer and Tiffany Sprague of Scientific Adventures for Girls in Oakland, California. Please subscribe to the show and leave reviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and send comments on Twitter, Reddit, or Facebook. You can find links at k12engineering.net. Our opening music comes from School Zone by The Honorable Sleaze. Our closing music is from Late for School by Bleeptor. Both are used under Creative Commons attribution licenses. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs. I am pleased to have you as a listener and hope you tune in again. Music